Good morning, church. Yeah, let's try it again. Good morning, church. If you have a Bible, would you open it to the book of 2 Corinthians? 2 Corinthians chapter 3. 2 Corinthians chapter 3. And we're going to be all over the place today as um, we normally work through whole books of the Bible. But today we find ourselves in a third service, or third sermon of a four-part series in Treasuring Christ in Decision-Making. Treasuring Christ in Decision-Making. How should we think about decision-making in a way that honors the Lord, in a way that deepens our affections for Jesus? And so we find ourselves in this third sermon with this main focus Treasuring Christ in decision-making, specifically, what is the work of the Holy Spirit in decision-making? The Holy Spirit and His work in decision-making. So, if you are in uh, 2 Corinthians, I'm going to read that because that's where we'll start off eventually, but um, I just want to read that and then plead with the Lord to, to move and we can dive right in. So, of God, 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verses 14 through 18 is where I'm going to read. Paul, speaking about the Jews, said this, but their minds were hardened. And in context, it means because of their continued unbelief. For to this day, when they read the Old Covenant, The same veil remains unlifted because only through Christ is it taken away. Verse 15. Yes, to this day, whenever Moses is read, a veil lies over their hearts. There's a veil to understanding. Verse 16. But when one turns to the Lord, that's Jesus, the veil is removed. Now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is, what's the next word? Freedom. And we all, with unveiled face, all who have trusted in Christ, we all with unveiled face, beholding, say that word with me, beholding, looking at, staring at the glory of the Lord, are being We're being acted upon. We're being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord who is the Spirit. Let's pray. Father, our prayer in this moment is that by the power of your Holy Spirit through your word that you would cause the diamond who is Jesus to shine brighter than he has before in our hearts, that our eyes would see Jesus clearer, that the affections of our heart would increase, that Jesus would be our greatest treasure. Father, I pray that you would give us more of you. We need you more than we need anything else more than we need to know our next steps, more than we need 
food this afternoon, more than we need an afternoon nap, more than we need peace in any relationship. We need you. And so, Father, we ask that you would come. Make yourself known. Change our hearts. And make us loving towards you and others. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. To decide. The word decide comes from a Latin word which means to cut something off. Which is why decisions are so hard. To decide means that you are going to choose one thing and not do another. Now, I specialize in the decision hack, especially around food. Okay, if you choose to go to one restaurant, the idea is that only things on their menu is what you have to choose from. Oh no, not if they're close. Because I can get a burger from one place and fries from another. Or I can get burger and fries from one place and I can go across the street and get, now there's a cookout in my neighborhood, a milkshake, okay? Hallelujah, praise the Lord. That is a decision hack. It's because I don't want to say no to something that I know is good. And this is why when we make decisions, many times it feels like a loss. Because once you say no to that thing, it can be like, oh, but I know that that too is good. This is the lesson of finiteness. We are unable to experience all the good all at once. We have to say yes to some things and no to others. Back in 1998, it was the year that my wife and I got married. 1998, I graduated from college at age 22 took a full-time job as a youth director at a church that I grew up in that Dana and I, my wife, had been serving in for over a year, and we got married all within the same month. Bad idea, but that's what we did, month of May, 1998. Well, after I had been the youth director there for a while, I remember vividly the picture, I don't know the date, but the picture in my mind of these Teenagers coming to me and asking me questions, and one question they asked me was about the book of James, and I remembered at that moment that I had no idea how to answer this child, and it hit me. I have so much more to learn, and if I don't learn and get training, I could end up doing more damage than I do good. We were loving them well, but I just knew something had to change. So Dane and I began to talk and pray and realized pretty quickly that we needed to go to seminary. Now, should we do this was really not the biggest hurdle in decision making. To go was actually a pretty easy decision. We needed to go. But where we were to go was a different story. Long story short, after many kind of weeks and months of trying to make a decision, we narrowed it down to two schools, and while we were, one of the schools that we were looking at was Southeastern Seminary in Wake Forest, and so as I was trying to make this decision, my wife and I 
uh, were praying through this and seeking counsel and uh, really just reading the scriptures and praying deeply, we decided together that the most spiritual thing we could do was to open our Bible. This is back when you have paper Bibles. I don't know if you guys know what those are. It's, it's Bibles with actual paper. Yeah. So we opened the Bible, and it was just wherever it would open to, and this was our spiritual discernment. If God put the word Southeastern on the page, we were going. So half joking, half serious, because I guarantee you, if we would have seen it, that was the Lord, we were gone. So we opened it up, and lo and behold, we could find Southeastern nowhere. Okay, so then we compromised. And the next option was, what if we found south and what if we found east? So, close it up, open it back up, let's see where it was. And we couldn't find south nor east. So then we decided, should we just try to put some letters together? You know, I found an S here. I found, you know, that you can, you know, make your own adventure at that point. So, needless to say, we needed some help. We needed some help. Because that method of decision making was built upon this sense that we needed to hear audibly a direct word from God. We needed to have this inner sense of peace from God before we could move forward. Any decision without that would not have been spiritual. It would not have been obedient. And so we were desperate. We were looking And some would even counsel us that until you get that clear, definitive word, you cannot move forward. What what are some of those clear, definitive words? We might use the phrases as open doors, or closed doors, or peace in the heart. Or you could even try the open your Bible bingo that Dana and I tried in our decision-making attempts. But we wanted to be led by God's Spirit. We wanted to hear him speak to us. We wanted to do what was most pleasing to him. We didn't want our own way. We wanted with all of our imperfections to walk with God. But the gnawing question kept, kept coming at the heart is, how do we know the Spirit is at work in this decision? How do we know he is speaking to us? Because if I'm waiting for peace in the heart, I can wake up and have amazing peace at one moment, and then the next moment, something happens and I don't have peace anymore. What do I do when I have peace and then I don't have peace and then I have peace and then I don't have peace and I have peace and I don't have peace? How do you know that's the Spirit? Or what about the idea of open doors? I remember when we were We had kind of resigned that we were forever going to rent in downtown Raleigh because at the time we were committed to that region. That's where uh, the most diversity and the greatest kind of economic distress had existed for the longest period in Raleigh's history. So we were committed to be in that area and we had said we were going to forever rent. And then I was prayer driving, driving by. I tell this story in almost every Getting Connected class. But as I was driving through praying, I saw a sign on an old YWCA building that still said for sale. And I pick up the phone, and I call, and this lady says, it is really weird that you call. And she said, 
because it looks like it's going to fall out of contract tomorrow. Would you be interested in being at the top of the list? And of course, I said, yes, I don't even know what that means, but let's do it. Long story short, we ended up buying that building. But before we could buy the building, we had to go through a big process. So that seemed like the biggest of open doors that you could see, that this fell through the day I called, and now we're ready to walk through. But then I remember, and I look back at notes, I remember over 20 barriers to us moving into that place and writing them all down. And if I'm in the decision-making paradigm that I have to solely operate based upon open doors and closed doors, how do I know those barriers were not closed doors to what I thought was once an open door? How did I know and how did we know as elders and how did we know as a church that even when we saw barriers, we could still walk forward and not just give up? Because years later, we ran into other barriers about building on our own property and being able to afford that. And we decided as a congregation that we would look at those barriers and say it's best to move. The first one it was best to buy. The second one it was best to move. How do you know? How do you know the Spirit is speaking? Well, I want to put forward, obviously we are not waiting on a laser light show. We are prayerful. We are prayerful. We're not rushing ahead. Because we don't want our own will, we want the Father's. But we take one step at a time, trusting His providence. So I want to spend this entire time talking about the work of the Holy Spirit in decision making. Because many of you who have walked with Jesus, you want to please Jesus in decision making. And many times we use this spiritual language to describe our decision-making process. We'll talk about open doors, closed doors. Some will say, God told me to do this. Others will say, well, I got a piece, therefore I should do this. Some of you get visions and dreams. Others, promptings, impressions, leading of the Holy Spirit. And the question is, does God's Spirit work this way? Do we need to wait for Him to speak to us before we act? And what does His speaking mean? look like the reason I think this is crucial is because many become so paralyzed so frozen in the decision-making process fearful they're going to miss God's will quote-unquote fearful they're going to mess up his plans and I just want to stop the fear I want to stop the paralyzation and here's my prayer My prayer is by the end of this time, we are filled with the Spirit. We sense His presence in and among us right now. We love what He loves. We hate what He hates. But these three things are the prayer. Our prayer is that the Holy Spirit would stir our affections for Jesus today. My prayer is that the Holy Spirit would stir a hunger in us to see the Spirit work through His Word. My prayer today is that we would have a confidence that the Spirit of God will supply us with all that we need to walk forward in love so that we can be courageous in decision-making and make decisions rather than being paralyzed in fear. So the three main ideas, the Spirit works to open our eyes and give us 
affections for Jesus. The Spirit works to give us wisdom through His Word. And the Spirit's agenda towards us and in us is love. This is where we're headed. So, if you remember our overall decision-making paradigm, treasure Christ in decision-making, we're using two main ideas, worship and wisdom. Worship and wisdom. And you're going to hear these things as we go through these three main points. They're going to be interwoven. Let's dive into the text. 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verses 14 to 18. As we look at point one, that is, the Spirit works to open our eyes and give us affections for Jesus. Now, we're going to go to some theological sledding here that means we're going to learn things about God that's what theology is and so um, don't get lost in it I'm going to try to walk through it but I think it's really important for us to understand the Spirit's work look at the text it says that the Jews minds were hardened and as they read their Bible as they read the Old Covenant There was a veil that remained over their hearts because the only way the veil of understanding could be removed was that they surrendered their life to who? To Christ. Because only through Christ is it taken away. Yes, to this day, whenever Moses is read, a veil lies over their hearts. But, I love that word, when one turns to the Lord, the veil is lifted. The veil is lifted. It's removed. And it says, now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. Freedom to what? Freedom to now understand and see. Why do I use the word see? Because look at the text. Verse 18. And we all, now with unveiled face, you know what a veil is? It comes over and it does this. Some are sheer, you can see through. This is a veil where you cannot see. The veil is removed. And then what's the next word? Beholding the glory of the Lord. The removal of the veil is to help you see. And that helping you see is the work of the Spirit of God. That's what He does. His work is to open the spiritual eyes so that we can see Jesus... And love what we see. So there's a freedom that comes when we turn to the Lord. It's a freedom that the Holy Spirit gives us to see what we haven't seen. It's a freedom from spiritual blindness. That we might behold Jesus. Now, the Bible talks about it as regeneration. That means he takes our cold hearts and he awakens them. We experience it in repentance and faith. When all of a sudden, the things of God were distasteful, but now all of a sudden we see and we love Him. We have affections for Him. So we turn from sin and we trust in Jesus because now we see. And when that kind of new vision happens, new things happen. My wife is taking a college class in microbiology, okay? Some of you who love the sciences will love a class like this. And I am not a huge fan and because here's the, here's the effect. You take a class in microbiology, and now all of a sudden the things that seem very natural and normal all of a sudden become really gross. 
because you're thinking about and seeing microbes because all of a sudden you've studied all of the the different organisms and bacteria and pathogens and all this kind of stuff and now all of a sudden you see through those lenses well this is in one part what God does when he opens our eyes he helps us to see the things that we used to think were wonderful it's now called sin we see it as destructive disgusting and devastating to our hearts. That's part of his eye-opening work. You see the grossness of sin, but also I am nearsighted, which means when I take these off, you literally right now are a big blurry mess, okay? And so when I put my glasses on, I now see not only definition and clarity, But things even get brighter because there's a dullness that happens when I take my glasses off. And now there's a a clarity that comes. This is the work of the Spirit of God when the veil is removed and He does this spiritual work in the heart and now you see the grossness of sin and you see the beauty of Jesus. That's the work that's being described here. And as you look on Jesus and look on Jesus and look on Jesus, it says you will grow to be more and more like Him from one degree of glory to another. That is a glorious work, and that is the work of the Spirit of God. And so, when the Spirit does all of those things, He is transforming us, and He's doing it by dwelling in our hearts. Listen to Galatians chapter 4, verses 6 and 7. And now we're going to be sprinting through a lot of texts, so stay with me. Galatians 4, 6 and 7. It says this, Because you are sons, that's sons and daughters, it's family language, But it's important that he calls sons because sons got the inheritance. Because you are sons, God has sent the spirit of his son, where? Into our hearts. The Holy Spirit of Jesus dwells in our hearts. And what happens when he dwells in our hearts? Now our hearts begin to cry out. They begin to yell out for an affection Abba, Father. There is an affection that comes when the Spirit of God comes and dwells in your heart. When you say no to sin and you turn to Jesus as your only hope for forgiveness, He opens your eyes. Now you see Jesus and you love Him and embrace Him by faith and say, I need you above everything else. Come and change me. His Holy Spirit dwells inside of you and new affections begin to rise. And it's affections for the Father. Where you cry out and you say, Abba, Father. And why do you do that? Because you're no longer a slave. You're no longer under the mastery of the devil who whips you when you do what is wrong. You're under the mastery of King Jesus who when you do what is wrong, He gets whipped for you. He stands in your place. You're no longer a slave but a son, and if a son, then an heir. He gives us longing, desperation for the Father because we are sons. I heard this week there's a difference between religion, that is slavery, and sonship, which is our adoption as the children of God. And here's a way to to discern it. I found this really helpful. Think about when you sin, what do you do? 
Where do you go? Here's the phrase. Religion is, I messed up, my dad is going to kill me. Sonship, or the gospel, is, I messed up, I need to call my dad. This is what's being articulated here. That the more and more you embrace the free gift of the gospel, that is the good news that you cannot save yourself, and your goodness is nothing that you can conquer yourself, and that sin makes you want to hide, the good news of Jesus Christ says, it's all been paid for. Trust me. Don't run from me. Don't try to fix it yourself. Run to me. When you know His love, you run to the Father, not away from the Father. And to the degree you grasp the Gospel will be the degree to which when you sin, you stop running away from God, stop hiding, and you run to Him because you're now a child. You're a child. This is the work of the Spirit of God. He not only opens our eyes, but He gives us affections for Jesus And he gives us affections to go because of Jesus to the Father, even in our grossest moments. And it even says in 2 Corinthians 5.5 that the Spirit of God is our guarantee that we're going to get to the end. That's what Galatians was talking about, that we're an heir of all things. We're going to get to the end. The Spirit of God in our hearts guarantees that that will happen. Okay, now, this passage, Galatians 4 called the Spirit, the Spirit of the Son, right? The Spirit of Jesus. Now, what is the relationship between the Spirit and Jesus? Well, this is when we got to zip forward to John chapter 16. Now, I'm going somewhere with this. Stay with me, okay? John 16, verse 14. Speaking of the Holy Spirit, Jesus says this. The Holy Spirit will glorify me. The role of the Holy Spirit is to magnify, to show off as great the Son, Jesus Christ. Now, you might feel like, How can he be the spirit of the Son, and yet his role is to show off the Son? It's called the Trinity. It's a very confusing thing, but it's three persons, one God. It's a real thing in the Scriptures, and it is really glorious the more we dissect it. But right now, I want you to understand the unique role of the Holy Spirit. His role is to make much of Jesus. So if you follow right now, the Spirit's work opens our eyes. He gives us affections for Jesus because the Spirit's role is to make much of Jesus wherever He is. And if you keep reading, He says, For He will take what is mine and declare it to you. All that the Father has is mine, therefore I said that He will take what is mine and declare it to you. Summary is, when the Holy Spirit speaks, God is speaking. When the Holy Spirit speaks, it is God. This is why it's important we want to know, is the Holy Spirit speaking to us? But before we get ahead of ourselves, the Spirit's role 
is to constantly feed us and speak to us about the beauties of Jesus. It's this sense that even as I'm speaking right now, even as you read the scriptures, the Spirit of God is meant to say, He's perfect. Jesus is a beautiful sacrifice. He is enough. He is able to satisfy the deepest longings of your heart. He died in your place. He rose from the grave. He's going to surely return just as he came already. He is love. He is justice. He is all authority. He is wisdom. He is power. He is the word he can be trusted. He is greatness. And the spirit just keeps pressing and massaging into the heart. Jesus is your greatest treasure. That's his role. And as we listen, the the supernatural strong sense, and I have a confidence because that's what God does through his word. He just stretches the heart, bolsters the heart, and causes affections for Jesus to rise up. That's his role. He takes what is Jesus's and gives it to us. So how does he do that? How does he do that? Here's the question for decision making. Does the Spirit speak to us in an audible voice? How does he give us affections for God and open our eyes? And the punchline is the Spirit speaks through God's Word, through the Bible. I want you to look at Hebrews chapter 3 with me. It'll be on the screen. In Hebrews, the book of Hebrews is this constant echo that Jesus is superior to everything. And there's a regular sense of it. It comments on several Old Testament passages. As you dive into Hebrews chapter 3, you're looking at Hebrews, the author of Hebrews, commenting on Psalm 95. And here's what it says. Hebrews chapter 3. It says, therefore, the Holy Spirit says, and then Psalm 95 is quoted. Today, if you hear his voice, don't harden your hearts, and he keeps going. So when we read the Bible, the author of Hebrews wants us to know one thing. In the pages of the Bible, it is the Holy Spirit, He Himself, the person of the Holy Spirit, who is speaking. Now, here's what's interesting. That's a present tense verb. It's not that He spoke in one time, and now we're just reading an ancient word. He speaks today. He has spoken And he is speaking through the Bible. The neglect of the scriptures is equivalent to the holding of the breath and expecting to have enough oxygen. We need the scriptures because in them is where the Holy Spirit speaks to us. And that's why just a few verses later, Hebrews chapter 4 verse 12, we read these words. For the word of God is what? Living. Active, sharper than any two-edged sword, it pierces division of soul and spirit, joints and marrow, discerning the thoughts and the intentions of the heart. These words, the Bible's words, are alive words because the Spirit of God dwells there. 
if I'm in your shoes, I'm like, Pastor Sean, thank you for the really good theological lesson. But it feels like you took a massive left turn away from decision making. And I kind of need some practical help. And actually, I need to make some decisions today. So can you move forward just a little quicker? Yes, I can. But we have to remember the paradigm of decision making. Worship and wisdom. Worship and wisdom. And when it comes to the role of the Holy Spirit in decision making, there is no greater role that he has than to give us affections for Jesus. He tells us, he will show us Jesus and speak to us today through the word of God. And therefore, there is no greater need for us in decision making than to sit with Jesus by the power of the Spirit in the word of God. Let's say it this way. In decision making, my greatest need is to sit with Jesus and to know him. It's to sit with Jesus until I worship. I don't need to know the future. As I said in my sermon two weeks ago, I don't need to know the future. I need to know the one who holds the future. I don't need clarity about the future as much as I need Christ. And I forget so often. So how do I spend most of my time? I spend most of my time making pro and con lists, asking people for help, Discussing my options because I'm a verbal processor. I like to talk it out loud. I research things. And all those are good. But I can lose first things. What's the first thing? Seek Him. Don't make God a soda machine. Hey, I spent time with you. You should produce and give me a decision. That's not how this works. Don't get me wrong. He wants us to go to him over everything. He wants us to go to him over money and relationships and sex and jobs and hangnails and marriage troubles and college and sickness. There's nothing off limits between you and your relationship with God. He wants it all. He wants to talk to you about it all. You don't have to have the made up version of you. He wants all of you right now. But friends, as the normal pattern of your life, go to him first for him. Go to him first for him. And if you haven't been, just acknowledge it. You don't have to pretend with God. Just acknowledge. Father, forgive me. I've wanted a decision more than I've wanted you. I've been guilty of that. I've wanted a decision more than I've wanted you. The work of the Spirit of God, the primary work of the Spirit of God, the central work of the Spirit of God is to give us affections for Jesus. And so the greatest thing we can do in decision making is sit with Jesus. Sit with Jesus until you worship Jesus for who he is. Sit with him until you say, I trust you. Sit with him until your heart receives the fact that he loves you and his love is enough for you. Sit with him and enjoy his love. Sit with him so that you might be able to say, take all of me, I want all that you want for me. I'm yours. Sit with him. And as you spend time with him, you'll not only see Jesus, but also he'll make you wise. 
which you need when you make the thousands of decisions that we make in a week. So how does God speak to us? I want to get to the next practical punchline of decision-making and the work of the Spirit. Now take heart. Here's the way it works in my sermon. Sermon's yay long. Point one is this long. Point two is this long. Point three is that long. Okay? So just follow. Okay? He's still in point one. Lord, help him. Okay, here we go. So let's take inventory of where we are by asking this question. How does God speak to us? Hebrews chapter 1, verses 1 to 2. Long ago, at many times and in many ways, God spoke, hey, there's our word, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, He has spoken to us by His Son, whom He appointed the heir of all things, through whom He also created the world. So, Following a really helpful summary of Hebrews 1 to 4 by Kevin DeYoung in his little book, Just Do Something, which I still highly recommend for you to look at, here's four takeaways. Number one, God can speak in many ways. And if you read the Old Testament, even if you read some portions of the New Testament, He can speak in many ways, right? Open doors, closed doors. He has spoken with words of encouragement, visions, dreams, whispers, lightning, sickness. God has spoken in so many different ways. So God can speak in many ways. Number two, according to Hebrews chapter 1, in these last days, the primary way he speaks to us is where? Through his son. Through his son. God has spoken by his son. Number three, God speaks to us by His Son through the Holy Spirit speaking by the living and active Word of God. This is the ground we've already tread, right? We will hear His Son speaking by His Holy Spirit in the Word of God. Now, here's the next practical punchline for decision making. Number four, apart from the Spirit working through Scripture, Hear these next words. God does not promise to use any other means to guide us, nor should we. Apart from the Spirit working through Scripture, God does not promise to use any other means to guide us, nor should we expect Him to. When it says expect Him, what that means is that we should not be making decisions, waiting for some special revelation, some special sense that the Spirit of God has, quote, told us to do something because what we are promised is that He will guide us through His Word. Now, let's move on and let's flesh this out some. So the Spirit of God is promising to work through the Bible to guide us and direct us. That's his primary way of guiding us. And number two, the Spirit's work then on the pages of God's Word is to give us wisdom. So worship and wisdom is the paradigm. Sit still with Jesus' worship. Now wisdom, let's look at one of my favorite passages about the Bible and wisdom. It's Proverbs chapter 2. 
Proverbs chapter 2. And here the Spirit gives us wisdom through the Word. Listen to this. Proverbs chapter 2, let's read. It says, My son, if you receive my words and treasure up my commands with you, making your ear attentive to wisdom and inclining your heart to understanding, yes, if you call out for insight, And raise your voice for understanding. If you seek it like silver and search for it as for hidden treasures, then you will understand the fear of the Lord and find the knowledge of God. For the Lord gives, what's the word? Wisdom. From his mouth come knowledge and understanding. Where does wisdom come from? From searching the word of God. This is how he gives wisdom. And then, what are the blessings if you are growing as a wise person through the Bible? Listen to what Proverbs says in verses 7 through 15. Here, listen for the blessings of wisdom. He stores up sound wisdom for the upright. He's a shield to those who walk in integrity. So now you get the sense of he protects the wise. He guards the path of justice. He watches over the way of his saints. Then you will understand. He will grant understanding of what righteousness is and what justice is and what equity is and what every good path is. These are the gifts for the wise. For wisdom will come into your heart and knowledge will be pleasant to your soul. He gives a pleasant soul. Discretion will watch over you. You'll you'll have more discretion and discernment. Understanding will guard you and it'll deliver you from the way of evil. From men of perverted speech who forsake the paths of uprightness, who walk in the ways of darkness, who rejoice in doing evil and delight in the perverseness of evil. Men whose paths are crooked and who are devious in their ways. You hear that. The wisdom of God gives us discernment between what is light and what is dark. It gives us discernment on what is of God and what is not. As one person said, it's just easier to go downhill. I think emotionally we can all see that. It's easier to choose sometimes the path of sin. It just feels easier. It's easier to go downhill. So we need the Spirit of God through the Word to help us have wisdom. And he will give to you everything you need when you need it. For those of you who are new to Christianity or not even believers yet, some of you might hear me talking and just like, good night, half of the stuff you've said has been over my head. I can't grasp all of this. It's just too much. And now you're telling me, if I spend time in the Bible, I'll get wise. But I feel like I'm so far behind. Like, I can't play catch up. Here's what I want you to do. I want you to know God meets you where you are and he promises to supply you with everything you need when you need it and so you don't have to know everything that these Christians of many years know it is start where you are and spend time with Jesus because wisdom is not given to the smartest wisdom is given to the desperate because isn't that what the text says search for it like hidden treasure It doesn't take brilliance to search. It takes desperation. It takes hunger. And so today, do not harden your heart. 
He is stirring right now and He wants to open your eyes to see Jesus and to love His ways. Prioritize wisdom. When you want to buy clothes, when you want to buy shoes, when you want to buy a car, when you want to buy a house, when you want a a better physique, when you want to see the, the latest music that comes out from your favorite artist, all of those you do research. Your favorite sports team, you do research, you look it up, you find out when all this is going to happen, what's the best deals. You know how to research, you know how to seek things. Jesus says, prioritize wisdom. He is saying that all the knowledge in the world, winning at every event you ever compete at, being secure financially, having all you've ever wanted, wisdom is at the top of all of those. Wisdom is greater and it's not even close. And so, dear friends, search for wisdom. And this is the summary of where we were two weeks ago. If you remember the decision-making paradigm of John MacArthur when there were five S's. Are you saved? That is, have you surrendered your life to Jesus? Are you spirit-filled? That is, are you in the word and prayer? Not perfectly, not exhaustively, but are you seeking him in the word and in prayer? Are you sanctified? That is, are you fighting against sin? Are you willing to suffer? If he says go here, are you willing to suffer? And are you seeking counsel, which is what Pastor Josh shared with us last week? And if that's the case, then the last step is, then do whatever you want to do. Or, as the psalm would say, delight yourself in the Lord, He will give you the desires of your heart. Commit your way to the Lord, trust in Him, and He will act. Or, as the title of that book that I've recommended, just do something. Don't sit paralyzed. Walk in faith. I was talking to one woman who was making a decision in her journey about, should I go on a mission trip for three months or six months? And just really wrestling on how long she should be away. And she said some of the greatest counsel she was ever given was that both of those are yeses. When you understand the love of God, when you understand the work of the Holy Spirit through His Word, when you understand this idea that God is carrying you and He's got you as a father and as a king in control of all things, then three months or six months, they're both yeses. And you can just make a decision and walk forward in faith. If you remember our decision to whether we go to Southeastern or not, spoiler alert, we came to Southeastern, and, but can you imagine, like, in my old paradigm, my 22-year-old paradigm, I make the wrong decision, and now I look back, that would have meant not only no Southeastern, but it would have meant no Raleigh, it would have meant no TCC, at least for me, for us, and the hundreds of people we've united around for years, it would have meant none of the friendships that we have here in Raleigh, it would have meant Not raising our kids in Raleigh, it would have meant no relationships with our current and past neighbors. It would have meant no relationships with those professors and students. 
my life has been forever shaped because we moved to Wake Forest and now live in Southeast Raleigh. I'm overwhelmed if my decisions control all of that future. I can't handle that. I suffocate. As Tim Keller says, you just want to crawl up in a ball and hide under your covers if you're in control of all of that. But even though we didn't see Southeastern in the Bible when we opened it up, nor South nor East, unless we really wanted to just like Google search, you know, which wasn't a thing back then. So what did we do? We made a decision. We walked forward in faith. We did not have a clear definitive way. But I tell you, because I didn't have this understanding of decision-making, there were times when things got hard that I looked back and said, did we make the wrong decision? Did we make a mistake? Should I hit reverse and try to undo this decision? Let me help. Suffering does not mean you made the wrong choice. Suffering can mean You're walking in rebellion against God's commands. That does bring suffering into your life. However, suffering does not mean you have made the wrong choice. Suffering means you are a part of a broken world and you are meant for another one. Suffering is what we will all experience. And many times it has very little to do with the decision you're making and more about the world you live in. He will carry us. He will sustain us. Why does sometimes he allow us to make choices that then in retrospect feel like they might be mistakes? Because he wants us to learn from mistakes. When I drive with my GPS and I don't use GPS and I realize if I would have used GPS, I could have gotten there quicker and avoided this traffic thing. Okay, I made a decision. Probably wasn't the best decision to go this way. So I look at GPS and it tells me, okay, this is a better way to go. So now I look at GPS pretty much every time I drive just to avoid traffic. That's a decision that I've learned to make greater, wiser choices. Was the other one the wrong decision? Eh, it was just a decision. (laughs) Why do we have to moralize all of these things? We moralize what's in the scriptures. What is not, we walk forward in faith. So, the final question I have to ask here So then, does God speak or guide apart from his word? He can and he has. And I've experienced it. There was one time I was riding my bike when we lived in downtown Raleigh. And as I was riding my bike, I had this overwhelming sense that I needed to go home. And I really wanted to ride my bike. So I'm riding my bike and I had this overwhelming sense, turn around, go home. I had no idea, is this indigestion or is this the Lord? I just felt like I needed to go home. I turned around, I went home, and when I showed up at home, things were not good at home. Things were hard, and I was so glad I came home. And in retrospect, in hindsight, I believe that was a gift from God to help me step back into my home in a time when my presence was helpful. I believe that was the leading of God as best my little fallible mind could understand. I remember another time. We had just been told that our daughter's autoimmune disease had spiked again for a second time. And 
we were really distraught in our heart. I won't tell you the first miraculous story that happened when we were in San Diego, but I will tell you the second one. When we showed up at TCC in the building and in walks an old dear saint, Barbara Thomas. She had not been at church in such a long time and she walks in and she says, makes a beeline for us and says, is mercy okay? And we were like, why do you ask? She said, well, I had a dream. And in my dream, it was the picture of Jesus calling the little children to come to her. And I saw mercy in the dream. And Jesus called and said, mercy, come here. And he put her up on his lap and he said these words. I have delivered you once. I will deliver you again. And then Barbara wakes up. And she says, do you know what that means? And I said, yes, we do. Yes, we do. And I want you to know how I interpret that. Because the Bible says that I need to spiritually discern these things. Here's how I interpret it. I did not, we did not interpret it that mercy will not be sick, stay sick, or get sick. The way we interpreted that was our God sees us. And he is with us, and he knows us, and he loves us, and this was a gift of comfort in a really hard time. Does our God still speak today? Yes, he does. Does he sometimes do it apart from the scriptures? Yes, he does. Many of you have felt at times burdened. You'll be in the presence of someone, and then you feel this overwhelming sense of burden I need to talk to this person right now about Jesus. Or I need to ask this person this question. And you do. And all of a sudden, the Lord just kind of opens the door. Now we know that God tells us to speak to people about Jesus. So you could say, well, he says that about everybody. So we know he's spoken to say, speak to people about Jesus. But you know what it's like when sometimes there are impressions or promptings leading by the Spirit of God. We can never know if it's the Spirit of God beforehand, but in retrospect, we can look back and say, that seems to be the work of the Spirit. But I want to encourage you, do not say, God told me to, unless you are quoting Scripture. Because you don't know what God says unless he said it in the word. The other area where we need this kind of category is in the gospel going to unreached places. I talked to my one dear friend who does a lot of work among unreached people in India. And he says probably two-thirds of the converts that he has met have come to faith with an initial sense of a dream or a vision. And then somebody kind of bringing the word of God to them and speaking the gospel to them. Why do I share these things? Because whenever, here's the temptation. I don't want to lay out a decision-making process that is mechanical and stiff and devoid of the Spirit of God. A process that is like, ah, just do whatever you want to do. 
No, that process is bathed in prayer and sitting with Jesus and sensitive to the Spirit. I don't want us to look at people skeptically when they say, I I feel like God might have me share this with you, or I feel maybe that I'm being led to do this. But also, we're not overwhelmed by the fact that they say that because that's not ironclad like the Scriptures are. It's something that must be discerned. We must be spiritually sensitive, biblically discerning, and then courageously decisive. Spiritually sensitive, biblically discerning, and courageously decisive. So does God speak or guide apart from his word? He can and he has. But we shouldn't wait around for it and expect it. Here's a quote from Kevin DeYoung. He says this. As we read the New Testament, you don't get the sense that the apostle, that is the apostle Paul, got angelic visits every other day and waited for his dreams to tell him what to do. With few exceptions, Paul planned, strategized, and made his own decisions about the non-moral matters of his life. Now, when we look carefully at the instances of special revelation in the book of Acts, that is visions, angels, audible voices, promptings, etc., we notice one very important and consistent fact. The extraordinary means of guidance were not sought. I don't deny that God can still speak to us in direct, surprising ways. Of course, but it must always be tested against the Scripture. But I believe God can still give visions. The point is that these extraordinary means in the New Testament are just that. They're extraordinary. God may guide us in these ways, but we should not expect Him to. We have no record in the New Testament of anyone anxious to hear God tell Him what to do. End quote. However, we do have Paul emphatically saying, this is the will of God, your sanctification. Abstain from sexual immorality. That's clear. That's clear. So, we end with this. So when we make decisions and we look at the role of the Spirit, we sit with God and we expect that the Spirit of God will open our eyes and give us affections for Jesus. We expect that when we're in the Word, He will give us wisdom. We expect for God to speak in His Word. He can can speak in ways outside His Word, but those are less sure. And so what we need is courage. And I want to encourage you that the Spirit's agenda for you is love. He will give you all the love, all the courage, all the patience, all the strength you need to make the decisions that God lays before you. You will never be left alone. This is the work of the Holy Spirit as we make decisions together. Let's pray. Father in heaven, I pray that our hearts are stirred with love for Jesus today. Oh God, protect this from being just some mental exercise. I pray that our hearts are stirred for Jesus. I pray that those of us that are wanting to run in the ways of wickedness, that we would not harden our hearts today, but we would turn to Jesus and say, maybe for the first time, I'm exhausted of trying to fix myself. I'm exhausted of living in my own way. And God, I need you to change me. Father, open eyes today, I pray, by your Holy Spirit. Remove the veil on the hard hearts 
and give affections for Jesus. Father, I pray. I pray that you will also give us a hunger for your word and a confidence that that is where your Holy Spirit speaks to us. So may it just totally change how we spend our time. May it totally change. May it be something where we believe that time with you in your word is precious and is a gift. And that's where you will speak. And Father, I ask that then as we are saved and spirit-filled and sanctified and willing to suffer and seeking counsel, that God, you would give us love. You would give us courage to walk forward in faith and to trust you with the outcome. Make us a courageous, risk-taking people because you never take risks. You're always in control. So Father, I pray right now that as we bow before you, that right now you would allow, you would work in us. And I just want to leave just one minute of space for you to share your heart with Jesus. He's working in this place. Whatever he's stirring in your heart, take it to him. Ask him to work in your life, to comfort you, to convict you of sin, to forgive you. Whatever it is, I pray that you will spend time right now just giving your whole heart to him.